It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Swing and a drive! Swing, there's a shot! High drive! Out of here! This laser beam of a home run for Brandon Crawford. First home run of the year for the Giants, and it's Joey Bart. Is. Challenger strikes out swinging. Swing and a miss. He struck him out. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Inside Giant Moments. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Great call, Parker. With Adam Copeland. Welcome back in, and thanks for joining us on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. I'm your host, Adam Copeland. A really fun episode for you today. We're going to get to know Giants pitcher, right-handed pitcher, Jacob Junis, just a little bit better. Junis came over from the Kansas City Royals this offseason, signed late in the offseason, actually, because I keep forgetting about that lockout, right? Pushed everything back. We got that big flurry of free agent moves right at the start of free agency, and then because of Major League Baseball's lockout, a whole lot of signings did not happen until much, much later. Well, Junis signed with the Giants, had a minor league option, started the season in AAA, and then ultimately came up and helped the Giants in that starting rotation big time. Actually, his first couple of outings were technically out of the bullpen. They uh, they opened with Sam Long, and then he was able to come in, Junis was, and uh, and throw five shutout innings in, in back-to-back performances, actually. And then you move into the month of May, where it was really the first time Carlos Rodon had struggled as a giant. Logan Webb struggled a little bit as a giant, and Junis was able to uh, to sort of keep that rotation afloat back when the Giants were pushing their way seven, eight, nine, ten games above 500 uh, as recently as uh, back in Pittsburgh about a month and a half ago. So Junis then uh, ultimately hurt his hamstring uh, before the All-Star game, was able to work his way back before the All-Star break. I want to say he pitched in that final game against Milwaukee that Sunday uh, where the Giants handed, uh, handed the Brewers their third loss in four games, and uh, then the Giants went on to the All-Star break. Anyway, Junis is a, has been a great uh, addition for the Giants this year, was added to be sort of a, a depth and bulk piece, and has really emerged as one of the better starters in that rotation. Now, what's sort of funny about him is he, he'd never pitched at Oracle Park before coming over to the Giants, and it's it's so funny to me. The guys can be in the big leagues for five or six years and never have an opportunity to pitch in every ballpark. Not that every starter or every reliever is going to pitch in every series, right? It's just not the way it lines up. But with the way the schedule is made, you play every team in your division 19 times, and then uh, the way interleague play is set up is you play every opposite division every three years, right? So the Giants obviously will play the A's every year because that's their geographical rival. But then you'll get one year where you play the AL West, one year where you play the AL Central, one year where you play the AL East, and it's just every three years. And you won't necessarily get each and every team coming to your city. Well, that's going to change for next year. Baseball is going to balance the schedule a little bit differently, shake it out a little differently. So you will see every team in baseball each and every season. And that's the way the NBA does it. And really now that there's no designated hitter, there's no real difference in the leagues, right? The the game is played the same across the board. You used to have an American League president, a National League president. The games were different. The umpires were different. The style of play was different. Well, now the game is far more uniform. So when the intention of interleague play initially, when it was implemented back in... uh, in 1997 was to uh, be able to create a a little bit more fanfare around an opportunity to get to see some of the best players in the game coming to your city when otherwise they would not have back in the day unless your team played that American or National League team in the World Series. So 
Now the way it's going to work is if the Yankees come here one year, then the Giants will go there next year. If the Blue Jays come here one year, the Giants will go there the next year. So it'll be really cool that you get an opportunity to see all of the best players in baseball. It comes to mind, I think, about when Shohei Otani came uh, just last year with the Angels. And uh, because there was no designated hitter, he only had one at bat in the uh, in the two-game series that the Angels played at Oracle Park. It was a, a pinch hit at bat. And he drew a walk. It was so funny. I was at that game. Uh, Giants fans were were booing because he went to, to a 3-0 counted Shohei Otani, and everybody wanted to see him hit. The Giants were up like 7-0 or 7-1 at the time, and it was the perfect opportunity to maybe see Shohei Otani hit one out of the ballpark. Didn't work out that way. It would have been super cool to see him get a splash hit. But anyway, back to Jacob Junis. Had not pitched at Oracle Park in his career before joining the Giants. It is now a, a very big part of that uh, that Giants rotation. So in just a little bit, we'll, we'll play you that conversation with Jacob Junis, get to know him just a little bit better. Some news we got to get to from this week. Trade deadline came on Tuesday and passed at 3 p.m. Pacific. The Giants were not quiet. They did not make a huge splash in free agency. And that's because I don't think, you know, Farhan had said numerous times, and Scott Harris has said this, that their focus has been on the postseason all year. And and while things have been a a bit of a struggle here after the All-Star game, uh, I think their focus in in if they plan to move a big-name player like a Carlos Rodon was going to be centered around if they were getting the value that they thought they needed to get for him. I, I personally am pretty happy to see Carlos Rodon still on this team. I would love to see them try to re-sign him after this year. He's been a, a, an exciting player. It's great to have that one-two punch. And when you see what the Dodgers have done and now what the San Diego Padres have done in adding Juan Soto, you want to make sure you've got all the pitching you need to go uh, into 2023. So we'll see what happens this offseason with Carlos Rodon. But the two teams that were said to be interested in Rodon were both the Cardinals and the Philadelphia Phillies. What's interesting about that and what sort of plays into what Farhan and and Scott Harris believe about where this team can go and whether or not they can turn things around and make a little push towards the postseason, A, they're not totally out of it. While it would take some work, they certainly are not uh, uh, out of the playoff picture by any stretch. Now, if they had traded Carlos Rodon, something might have changed. And the reason I say that is the two teams interested, we just mentioned the Cardinals and the Phillies, are the two teams sitting right above the Giants in the wild card standings for that third wild card spot. So if you're to trade Carlos Rodon to one of those teams who is a contender uh, sitting just above you in the uh, in the standings for that third wild card spot, you're effectively handing them the opportunity to go make that run and saying, well, we may not have the pitching now to do it. So if they were going to trade Rodon, was not going to be for pennies on the dollar. In fact, I'd imagine they wanted dollar for dollar, maybe dollar twenty five for dollar. And if the Cardinals were unwilling to uh, to make that deal, uh, I- I'm totally okay and, and very happy that the Giants were able to hold on to Carlos Rodon. So we've got him for a few more months at the very least he does have an opt-out after this year so I think that and that's sort of my assumption as to what happened there uh, at the deadline and, and the Cardinals went out and they were able to add a couple other arms they got Jose Quintana who was a, a former giant uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates they also went out and they traded Harrison Bader to the New York Yankees for Jordan Montgomery the Phillies were able to go out and uh, and add some pieces as well but um, did not get uh, in, in the bidding war for Carlos Rodon, who was clearly the best possible available pitcher uh, at the trade deadline on the market. So uh, happy to have him back and, and still in San Francisco. Uh, the other things the Giants did at the deadline, a couple of guys we've become accustomed to being Giants over the last couple of years, and some guys who I'm going to look back at and say those were good Giants. Kirk Casale, who was a backup catcher last year, and then obviously played a huge role for them early this year in, uh, in trying to get Joey Bard up to speed. And last year what he did every third day behind Buster Posey was just fantastic. Uh, remember he caught however many consecutive shutouts to start the season. His catcher ERA was fantastic. Uh, anyway, he, he's a guy. I love a veteran catcher. You love a backup catcher. A great conversationalist. Had an opportunity to interview him on numerous occasions. And uh, Kirk Casale goes up to the Seattle Mariners. We wish him well. Also in that deal 
Matt Boyd, we mentioned him just a little bit ago. Matt Boyd was signed as another one of those depth pieces, was uh, hoping uh, to rehab with the Giants organization, maybe come back after the All-Star break, make 10, 12 starts, and help them down the stretch, especially with all the left-handed bats the Giants have to deal with in the NOS. Matt Boyd, the former Detroit Tiger, would have been a nice addition to this rotation. Well, he gets traded up to the Mariners as well. Had just thrown a 40-pitch bullpen session on Monday, and so he's going up to join the Mariners as they try to make their playoff push. By the way, the Mariners, the longest drought in North American sports right now when it comes to making a playoff appearance. They've not been to the playoffs since 2001. How crazy is that? There's kids that are 21 years old, old enough to drink, and they haven't seen the uh, the Seattle Mariners in the postseason. So uh, Matt Boyd, Kirk Casale, we wish them well up to the Seattle Mariners. The other one, and this one was kind of a surprise to me, is Darren Ruff. Darren Ruff came over from Korea. One of the great stories over the last few years for the Giants. Obviously, it was a Philly years ago and was out of baseball, went over to Korea, figured things out, and Farhan brought him back, gave him an opportunity, and, and he, he shined, I think, in that opportunity from 2020 to what he did last year in 2021, where every time you brought him off the bench in one of those line changes, he was fantastic. Hit a big home run in Game 5 of the Division Series to tie the game at 1 before ultimately the Giants were eliminated from the playoffs by the Dodgers. But Darren Ruff, a guy who's uh, who had some bad luck at the start of this year, is, uh, is probably just the kind of power bat the New York York Mets are looking for. So the Giants uh, sent Darren Ruff out to the New York Mets, and in return, they did get a guy, J.D. Davis, a, uh, a kid out of Elk Grove, actually. I say kid, he's 29 years old, but uh, he came up with the Houston Astros just a couple of years ago, hit 22 home runs, and had an OPS over 800 for the Mets, had one of the highest exit velocity or hard hit rates in all of baseball, according to the stat cast data. Anyway, he's a guy with some versatility, and what's sort of funny about this is it's not a, an absolute clean sl- uh, swap. Like, they're not uh, carbon copies of each other, J.D. Davis and Darren Ruff, but they are very similar type players, both big, hulking, kind of right-handed bats. Uh, J.D. Davis can play some first and third and some outfield, where Darren Ruff is mostly going to serve, I think, the Mets as a designated hitter or maybe some first base or some outfield, but they were looking for a right-handed power bat to fill that role in the Mets. We're trying to go get J.D. Martinez from the Boston Red Sox. Ultimately, that did not work out and so the Giants were able to help them fill that void and in return they got a player who's under team control for two more years so J.D. Davis comes over he won't be a free agent uh, until after the 2024 season so the Giants have a little bit of time here with him in the organization Darren Ruff actually also could have been under uh, sort of the same contract situation he did sign a two-year deal worth six and a half million dollars with the Giants in a third-year club option so had the Giants wanted they could have kept Ruff and had him for two more years beyond this season as well but they do get a little bit younger in adding J.D. Davis also a couple of the other trades that went down uh, 13 days ago the Giants signed Trevor Rosenthal, former closer, St. Louis Cardinals. He's been in baseball for a long time. Had not pitched in the big since 2020. Well, they traded him to the Milwaukee Brewers. They gave him a four and a half million dollar deal, a whole bunch of incentives. We thought he'd be in the back end of the bullpen, but the Brewers needed some uh, some bullpen help after trading Josh Hader to the Padres, and the Giants were able to help them out and uh, and send up for prospects Trevor. Rosenthal. So those are your three trades. The four guys who leave the organization, two of which had not pitched a game in the uh, in the black and orange or had actually ever been activated for the Giants roster, the Matt Boyd and Trevor Rosenthal. And then they get a little bit younger and getting J.D. Davis and trading Darren Ruff out to the New York Mets. And Kirk Casale also goes up to the Seattle Mariners. So that's how the trade deadline went down. Obviously, no huge splashes or anything, but it is a big free agent market yet again this offseason. Aaron Judge hits the free agent market. Uh, You've got guys like Trey Turner who are going to hit the free agent market. And think about what that could mean. Uh, Pulling Trey Turner away from the uh, the L.A. Dodgers and putting him in black and orange, that'd be pretty cool. But we'll see what happens this offseason. Before we get to Jacob Junis, I just want to take a minute to uh, send my condolences to the Dodger family. Vince Scully passed away on Tuesday night uh, at the age of 94, which is just a, a 
brilliant, beautiful, uh, artistic. I, I don't even know how many how many words and adjectives you can use to describe what he meant to the game of baseball and to baseball fans. And while you know the rivalry on the field is one thing, we all love to hate the Dodgers. Uh, something that makes baseball beautiful is the relationship that you have with your teams, and a huge part of that relationship. In fact, the bridge to that relationship are the broadcasters, especially from the generation that Vince Scully was from. Back in New York, grown up a Giants fan, befriended Lon Simmons and Russ Hodges, and for many, many years was the voice of the Dodgers back until 2016 when he had his final broadcast out at Oracle Park and Willie Mays stopped by the booth. And I just, uh, as a kid who grew up, a huge fan of radio and a huge fan of baseball and an enormous fan of the Giants rivalry and uh, and what broadcasters meant to the history of the Giants and Dodgers rivalry. Vince Scully, in my opinion, is is the all-time great. And I mean, for us here in San Francisco, you had a, the great call in the Dwight Clark catch, right? Dwight Clark caught it. It's a madhouse. You're a candlestick. There are so many great moments. You think about Will Clark hitting the, uh, the grand slam off of uh, Greg Maddox. We, we played that for you last week. Uh, on the podcast before Will Clark's Jersey retirement ceremony, and Vince Scully was on that call as a national broadcaster. So uh, it's a really, really sad day in sports that we lost Vince Scully. Uh, in my opinion, again, the all-time greatest American broadcaster, especially as it pertains to the game of baseball. And uh, it is a beautiful thing that we get the, these next couple of days or next couple of weeks to reflect on what he meant to us and what he meant to the game. But I know uh, for Dodger fans, it. This was a, a huge loss, and, uh, you know, moving with the team out here in 64 years, it's just uh, it's it's a sad day that, uh, that we lost Vince Scully, but uh, I look forward to getting to reflect on this and, and remember what it is that he meant to the game of baseball and what he meant to the Giants-Dodger rivalry. I think uh, I think every Giants fan could get behind that and, and get behind Vince Scully. What's not to love? Uh, so rest in peace, Vin. I think everybody's thinking about him this week and, and for days and weeks to come. Also, what a storybook way for it to end. It seemed like it was almost scripted that, that he passes away on a day that the Giants and the Dodgers actually played against each other. So I just wanted to make sure uh, we noted that here on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. All right, uh, our next guest, Jacob Junis, joined the Giants this year for the first time. And I think a lot of fans haven't had an opportunity to get to know Jacob and anything about him. So we're going to do just that. We'll get into a little bit of his background, what it was like coming over here to the Giants, just the second team he'd ever played for in his big league career, a guy who was drafted and joined uh, the Royals organization at just 19 years old. And he's now right here pitching for you at Oracle Park. Here's our great conversation with Jacob Junis. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Inside Giant Moments podcast, Jacob Junis. You see him out on the hill at Oracle Park and wherever else the Giants are playing. Jacob, it's nice to have you on the podcast, man. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me. Dude, so I, I was uh, I was doing some research for the, the podcast, and, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm a baseball junkie, and I thought, I wonder if this is a thing. I looked it up, and from what I can tell in like the 140-plus-year history of Major League Baseball, nobody else has ever played in the bigs and spelled Jacob with a K. You may be the only one, dude. How about that? <laughs> that's actually kind of surprising i mean i know it's not the common way of spelling it but um i have had other people stop me and tell me that like they they spell their name with a k but it is kind of rare so i am, am a little shocked that i'm the only jacob that's ever been spelt with a k in the big leagues yeah, yeah you got a, a little allegiance a little, little club of people who spell it jacob but uh, but you may be the only big leaguer who's ever done it it's been fun to have you as a giant this year man you've been a great addition to the rotation and and uh, you, you really helped out especially in may when some injuries popped up you've pitched really really well this year uh it's the first time in your career you changed team started your career with kansas city uh what was that process like for you was it a major adjustment was it exciting uh, what, what was that change like coming over from the American League and, and playing in a totally different division and then joining San Francisco this year? Yeah, uh, so I was drafted by Kansas City and, you know, I obviously made it up to the big leagues with them and that was the only team I had ever been a part of. Um, you know, and at that point in my career, it was definitely, it was time to part ways with Kansas City and move on. And I'm glad that the Giants, you know, they came into the picture pretty late and in, uh, in offering me 
after the lockout. But um, this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the name your price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You know, I was really excited to be able to stay in Scottsdale for spring training. I lived there in the offseason, so that was a huge bonus. And being uh, uh, in the NL West, uh, the, the West Division is just like, I love it. I love being in California, Arizona, you know, being on the West coast, close to home. So that was a big bonus as well. And, you know, ever since I've gotten here, I've just, I've loved my time. You know, I love San Francisco. I love this ballpark. I love the guys on the team, the staff, like it's, it's really been great. Had you, uh, had you pitched at Oracle park before you, you joined the giants? Had you pitched over here before? No, I hadn't. I had been here once. Uh, I think it was my rookie year. We played like a two game series here, but um, I was, I did not pitch either of those two days. Uh, have you have you I mean, you said you enjoyed it. Uh, it's, a, it's a unique ballpark. It's got to be I mean, I, I'm biased because I'm from here and, and it's just a gem in baseball, but it's got to be one of the top two or three ballparks in all of baseball. What's it like to pitch out there? Does it uh, it places a pitcher's park? Obviously, is that something that uh, that you enjoy about pitching to contact a little bit, having the ball die out there in, in right center field? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I agree that it is definitely one of the top three ballparks in the league. Um you really can't beat the weather either playing and like this weather pitching in that weather is just so ideal for me at least. And uh, yeah, as you said, it is a, it tends to be a, a pitcher's ballpark. And uh, for someone like me, it throws a lot of strikes and, and is in the strike zone. Um, you are prone to giving up some homers and things like that. But um, you know, if the ballpark can help me out and the wind can push him back in, that's just a bonus for me. And you mentioned the uh, the weather, man. I actually wrote this down to talk to you about because uh, I've been out to Kauffman Stadium, beautiful stadium. I think as far as the older ballparks go in baseball, that's that's one of the prettiest ones. The fountains out there. It's uh, right there next to Arrowhead Stadium. It's a great location. It's a, it's a lot of fun to see a ball game there. So, uh, I mean, obviously the summertime, completely different weather from Kansas City to San Francisco out in the Midwest. Uh, you you like pitching in the cold weather? You like the uh, the freezing cold, windy July summer nights? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Like Kansas City. Like in the summertime, 9,500 degrees and it was humid too. So it was like, it was sticky. You're sweating like crazy, you know, and I had trouble gripping the ball in some of those games because it's just so, I, I have so much moisture running down my arm onto my hand. The grip of the ball is really, really a task. And, you know, that affects the spin of the ball, the way I'm, I'm attacking and trying to throw strikes. It's harder to hit your locations and things like that. And uh, being out here with the, uh, the colder weather, I don't have to deal with that. I don't have to worry about that as much. I can really just focus on being comfortable and, and executing the pitch and, and, and just going after guys without worrying about throwing one over the backstop. Boy, good deal, man. It's great that you can find comfort uh, so quickly uh, getting out to this ballpark and, and in a new city. So six years in the big leagues, has, has it gone by quickly for you? Do you feel like a, like a grizzled vet now, like you've been around for a while? <laughs> <laughs> no, not really, honestly. Uh, you know, I think uh, when I look back on it, being drafted in 2011, that seems like a long time. But, yeah. you know, since I've been in the big leagues, um, it, it it really doesn't seem like it's been that long. And, uh, you know, hopefully I play a, a bunch more years and, and can keep doing this game and, and stuff. But, you know, it hasn't really flown by, which is great because I want to enjoy this part of my life and, and these experiences and, and getting, getting to pitch in front of big crowds. And that's another thing I love about Oracle as well is, 
uh, Giants fans, they definitely show out. And I wasn't used to that in Kansas City is quite as much. But, um, you know, a Monday night game, you're going to have, you know, a decent amount of people in the crowd. And let alone pitching on a Saturday, you know, it's probably going to be packed. Yeah, the weekends have been uh, been really fun this year. It's, we've gotten some good weather on weekends, and uh, and those Saturday, Sunday day games definitely fill up. Uh, do you set personal goals for yourself when you come into a season, like with a new team like this? I mean, obviously, I think every guy wants to get through the year healthy. But as far as numbers go or as far as things you want to achieve, is there anything you do for yourself or, or something, some benchmark you set that you'd like to reach in any given season? Um, You know, health, obviously, you mentioned that. That's for sure first and foremost, like what you want, you want to, you know, try and make it through healthy and limit injuries and limit time on the DL, things like that. Um, as personal goals, you know, in the past, maybe, yeah, I was like, it'd be, um, great to make all 30 starts or, you know, to pitch 200 innings or things like that. But, um, you know, as my career has gone on, I haven't like, I haven't done that as much, especially not this year. I have, I didn't put myself in a box. I didn't say, Hey, this is what you got to do this year. I really just, you know, wanted to embrace being on a new team and going out there and just trying to make a good first impression when I did get called up. And, uh, you know, I just want to keep producing and pitching as well as I can and winning ball games. And um, being on this team, the last few years in Kansas City haven't been – weren't great. You know, we lost a lot of games. So, um, to be on this team, I just wanted to contribute to the winning. You know, there's a lot more winning going on here. And I just wanted to, you know, be a part of that. That's great, man. Uh, when you came over, did you know anybody on the team already? Anybody you'd cross paths with uh, uh, known from from your younger years or minor league baseball or anything? Or was it a completely new organization to you? Um, so I didn't really know anybody. I knew Webby. He was the only ah. one. Um, he uh, trains at a place in Arizona in the offseason that my brother used to work at. So um, my brother is friend was friends with him previously. And I got to meet him a couple times and talk to him and um, a lot of Giants players went into that facility and trained and um, but he was the only one that I knew personally before coming over here. So funny. I think uh, of all the guys we've had on the podcast this year, when you talk about, uh, you know, guys that they connect with in the clubhouse, you might be the second or the third one who said Logan Webb. He's kind of a gel guy. I mean, I know the fans look at him and, and you look and you, you know, we saw what he did last year in the playoffs emerged as the ace of the staff. But uh, as far as the clubhouse goes, he's, he's a good guy to be around, huh? Fun guy to hang with. Definitely. Yeah. You know, uh, there's a lot of good guys in the clubhouse, but Webby is just like, he's just one of those guys that's just friends with everybody. Everybody mm-hmm. likes him. Um, you know, it helps that he's like a homegrown guy. The fans love him. And uh, obviously it's uh, an amazing pitcher, one of the best pitchers in the league. So it's easy to, easy to follow that guy and, and try and do what he's on doing on the mound, but off the field, man, he's just as good of a guy as he is a player. I'm sure he's hyped about his Raiders too. Uh, they're looking, uh, looking for a big season this year. I know he's a big Raider <laughs> fan. Uh, I was reading about your path uh, into professional baseball. You talked to get about getting drafted back in 2011. You had a scholarship. I read to play baseball at NC state. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. But you, so you were drafted out of high school then and you, you signed with the Royals in the 29th round. That's gotta be like a dream come true for a high school kid who, who played baseball. Where were you when you found out you were drafted and, and how did you come to the decision to uh, forego going to college to play professional baseball? Cause 19 years old, I mean, that's a big jump to make, man. Yeah, I was, that was a tough decision. That was literally one of the hardest decisions of my life. Cause um, I could have gone either way. I really wanted to go to college. Um, I was going to be a two-way player in college and still try to hit and play infield and pitch. And NC State was going to give me the opportunity to do that. And I didn't necessarily want to give the bat up yet because I had only started pitching like a couple years before I got drafted. Like I was always a infielder hitter growing up. 
but I had a really good arm and I pitched a little bit and then scouts saw me pitching and they liked what they saw on the pitching front. So I was drafted as a pitcher, obviously, but uh, yeah, it was a really tough decision to, to hang the bat up. Um, NC state had a really good recruiting class that year. Trey Turner, uh, Carlos Rodon was in that recruiting mm-hmm. class. So um, that would have been a really, really cool thing to be a part of. They went to a couple of college world series, but you know, ultimately um, I was offered enough money that, you know, I really couldn't pass it up, you know, for me and my family to, to get the opportunity to uh, be professional and, and chase my dream, lifelong dream of playing in the big leagues ultimately. And, you know, uh, I wouldn't change a thing because it, it worked out, you know, we, uh, we battled through the minor leagues and got to the big leagues and, you know, now here I am in year six of a big league career. So there's not much I can, I can look back on and, uh, have regrets with yeah man tough to tough to have any regrets with that you made the right decision you're pitching pitching in the big leagues every fifth day man that's uh that's a, a pretty cool thing to have accomplished to, to see your dream come through did you you said you always wanted to be a pro baseball player that was always the dream since you were a kid yeah um probably when i was like 10 years old i really started taking baseball seriously we played uh travel baseball and then when i was 12 i really kind of realized that i was a little bit better than most kids and that's when I really started taking it serious and, you know, into my junior high and high school uh, years. And then, you know, luckily the right people saw me and gave me the opportunity and, you know, the rest is history. So, so you grew up in, uh, in Rock Falls, Illinois. Uh, as a fan of baseball, who's your team? Were you a Cubs fan, a White Sox fan? Who did you root for out there? Yep. Yep. Grew up a Cubs fan. Um, Wrigley Field and all that. So, uh, yeah, I grew up a Cubs fan. They weren't the best team when I was growing up. They had a couple of good years, but um, you know Wrigley Field's one of a kind place, and they had uh, they had Sammy Sosa when I was growing up. He was the guy to follow the the home run chase with Mark McGuire and stuff. So there's a lot of memories from watching him when I was a kid. Yeah, you're uh, you and I are not far off in age. Uh, the 0-3 Cubs. You remember you remember the 0-3 Cubs specifically? Maybe a little Dusty Baker. And we, we don't have to get into to Bartman and all of that. But, uh, was that, was that, a, is that, a, that a team you followed closely? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Derek Lee, Moises Alou, all those guys. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, they had some good guys. Uh, Ryan Dempster out there. Uh, that was a fun team. Uh, those uh, yeah. Monty Soto behind the plate. Yeah, those Cubs teams were a lot of fun. So at 19 years old, man, you report to rookie ball. How much of a culture shock is that for you as, as a 19-year-old kid? What can you remember about your first season playing professional baseball? Um. So it wasn't a crazy shock for me, obviously, first time being away from home full time. But, uh, you know, playing travel baseball in the summers, a lot of times I would spend them down in Florida because, I mean, just the level of competition, um, more exposure down in Florida in the summer times for me. So I would honestly leave home for weeks at a time to go down there and play in tournaments and things like that. So I had a little bit of experience uh, being away from home and playing baseball and uh, it was a it was a good little uh, stepping stone before I actually got drafted and was thrown fully into the fire. Yeah, so you've been doing some traveling. You've been away uh, already, riding buses and uh, and out with a group of dudes and, and getting ready to play ball. When you got to the big leagues, was there a veteran who sort of took you under his wing, or, or was there somebody who was sort of a mentor to you that uh, that showed you what it was like to be a pro, to be a big leaguer? Um, well, my first year in the big leagues, uh, it was a very veteran. Uh, team in Kansas City a lot of those guys from that 15 World Series team were still there it was their last season Um, so that was that was really cool that I actually got to be called up and 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 share the field with all those champions and and guys that have been doing it for a long time and carried themselves the right way and um, I would say one guy that stayed after a lot of those guys left in free agency was Danny Duffy and we became good friends and and really close so still a good buddy of mine to this day 
um, can't thank him enough for, for everything he's done for me. That's, that's pretty cool, man. I'd forgotten. So you came up like, uh, what about 2017? Is that when you made your debut? Yeah. So 2017, uh, was Aaron Gordon still out in left field then? Uh, yeah. Alex, Alex excuse Gordon. me, Alex Gordon, Alex Gordon. Pardon <laughs> <me>. <laughs> yep, Alex, Alex Gordon was still there. Uh, Haas, Kane, Moose, uh, LCs, Escobar, Salvi, you know, there's Chris, uh, Chris Young and Joaquin Soria, Peter Moylan. We had a lot of veterans on that team. So um, fun to be a part of, uh, fun to be the young guy, getting to see those guys go to work every day and how they did it. Uh, just trying to do my part to, to fit in and, and contribute to that team. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good core of guys, man. That's a, all those guys who went to a couple of World Series and then obviously 2014 lost to the Giants, 2015 beat the Mets. That was, a, that yep. was pretty cool. By the way, Alex or Aaron Gordon, that'd be crazy having him out in left field, like six foot nine, <laughs> uh, power forward from the NBA. That would be a trip. Uh, the evolution of the game has is, is, uh, changed a lot, like especially over the last five years. Being that you were drafted 10 years ago or 11 years ago, did you notice a change or, or an evolution in the coaching philosophy when you were in the minors from uh, game preparation or, or uh, what it takes to attack hitters? Because it seems now like there's there's no uh, fastball counts anymore, right? Uh, we're all about throwing high fastballs in the zone and breaking balls going away. We've got the three true outcomes. Was there a, a change, you think, in coaching philosophy while you were a professional that you sort of had to adjust to or that you noticed a change in? Um, you know, I think that varies for our guy to guy, you know, mm-hmm. what, what stuff that they have featuring. And um, I know when I came over here, um, you know, it was a point that I was going to throw a lot of off-speed pitches, you know, I was going to throw a lot of sliders. That was my best pitch. Um, but the Giants have encouraged me to, you know, attack the strike zone. That's that's exactly what I wanted to hear because that's who I've always tried to be as a guy that throws a lot of strikes and doesn't walk people. And and if that means I have to throw a 3-0 slider and a 3-1 slider to, to get myself back into the count, then, you know, that's what I'm going to do. So, um, yeah, it's been – I don't know if I – would say to answer your question throughout the minor leagues or, you know, when I was first in the big leagues, a different approach to coaching, I would just say like, since I've been over here with the giants, they've just, you know, given me the confidence to, to be who I am and to do what I do and um, pitch to my strengths and pitch in the strike zone. And, you know, that's, that's, that's been what I've been trying to do. And um, it's, it's worked so far. So I, I, I like the results that I've gotten so far this season and want to just keep that going. Well, that's great. That, that's kind of, I think, what they told Kevin Gosman, too. Like, when he got here, they said, hey, your split finger is your best pitch. You should be throwing more of that and, and sort of uh, pounding the bottom of the zone with it. And it worked out well for him. He got a big contract going up to Toronto. But Gabe uh, Kapler said that when he first signed with the Giants. He said he, his focus was going to be still continuing to coach at the major league level. Do you think that philosophy has played a role in some of your success this year, that they plan to, kind of what you're talking about, encourage you to be who you are, uh, use your best stuff from, from previous years in your career and sort of hone in on what it is that's made you successful at the big league level yeah absolutely and um i would say you know the pitching coaches that we have here andrew bailey jp martinez it's it's we're putting in work in between starts you know what i mean every time when we're working on things and we're trying to improve you know we're not we're not just trying to to maintain necessarily we're trying to you know sharpen these things and make sure they stay sharp um every time we go out there and if something's not feeling right it's a focus that week um, to, you know, dial it back in to where we need to get to before that next start. So that's been a lot of fun too. um, being able to, to, you know, play around with different grips and, and, uh, especially for me and my changeup, you know, I came into this season and never really having a changeup. It was always a pitch that I struggled with and, um, still a work in progress, but you know, it's, it's fun to, 
to tinker with it and to, uh, you know, get that feeling and see that, that movement that I've been wanting for a long time um, after putting in the work week in, week out. So that's, that's fascinating stuff to me. So you say you, you never had a changeup. Does that mean like you had a, a little one in your arsenal and you just didn't throw it frequently? Does it mean that uh, you worked on it on the side and never used it in a game? Like what, what's it like to develop a pitch or to craft a pitch or shape a pitch and then implement it into a game plan? Because that's got to be a little bit concerning at times. You're like, I haven't thrown this thing a whole lot, but I'm getting used to it. Can you, can you tell us the process of, of developing a new pitch like that? Yeah. I mean, just, I, I had one obviously, but I, it just wasn't consistent. And uh, it wasn't a pitch that, that played well for me. You know, I always knew that I needed one and was searching for one and tried different grips and things like that. But um, what we did over here is really just slowed it down um, to try and get the right seam, seam uh, effects on it, the way the ball spins. And, you know, we did track, man. We did uh, slow motion cameras watching it come out of my hand and, you know, doing the, the feel versus real test. And, and uh, you know, uh, the first time I actually got called up for the Giants, I pitched in Washington and I think I threw like 30% changeups that game. And it was just like, it was working. It was felt great. And we just kept going to it and we got great results, but I had never, ever done that in my entire career. And um, I think that just goes, a lot of credit goes to, you know, Andrew Bailey and the entire pitching staff of the San, the San Francisco Giants for, you know, showing me, the the basics of it and then us just hammering it home all the spring training and the beginning of the season and and uh you know seeing the the fruits of the labor you know happen in game and getting the results was was amazing it was so satisfying and and uh it was a lot of fun to to add that one to the mix yeah i remember that game i think i think sam long opened for you right and then you went five shutout innings is that what happened after that Yep. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. I imagine, I imagine hitters around the league who faced you before they're like, man, I'm facing this guy. He's got a change up now. He's like, now I got to deal with this thing, dude. He's throwing this 30% of the time. That's uh, yeah, the, yeah. It's probably a big shot. Cause I mean, I was always just a slider fastball guy right. and um, you know, I was throwing to lefties and righties. So I'm sure that was just something that they weren't necessarily ready for. And then um, you know, those pitches go two separate directions. So it's just hard to, to commit to one or the other when you got both working. Yeah, if a guy thinks you're coming fastball uh, slider and you're dropping changeups on him on the outside part of the plate, that's a, that's a tough thing to adjust to. Uh, so you had an injury earlier this year, landed you on the injured list. Uh, it was great that you were able to come back as quickly as you did. So you're working your way back still. I so say you're talking about building up your pitch count. Does it change anything when you know you're on a pitch count, or, or what? What's the the feeling or the thought process when you take the mound again after an injury like that? And you need to build yourself back up. Um, no, it doesn't really change my thought process or anything like that. It's basically just telling myself, go out there and uh, take it as a normal start as you would any other one and go until they take the ball from you type of thing. Uh, so it, like, uh, it, like, I guess last weekend you, you got into a bit of a jam you, you, in the first inning. I think the bases got loaded against you. You, you were able to get out of it. Uh, it was actually pretty resilient of you to get out of that jam because uh, it was a little bit out of whack at first. Is there a feeling when you first come off the injured list sometimes that you need to get a grip again for your pitches? Or I know you're still out there playing catch and stuff and, and you made a couple of rehab appearances, but the process of, of getting back the same feeling you had because you were really sharp before you got hurt. That's what was such a bummer about it is you were cruising. Is there a, a sort of a window or a learning curve there to get back to the feeling you had before yeah most definitely um you know whether it's the way the ball is coming out of your hand or the way your body's moving down the mound um things are a little funky when you come back and get into that game speed you know yeah, yeah. and uh for me it's just been about not trying to overwhelm myself thinking about that or or 
you know, when I make a, a bad pitch or don't ask, execute a pitch, don't get too upset because there's still work to be done. You know, it's like, I know I'm not my sharpest right now, but um, you still got to do what you got to do to try and get some zeros and give the team the best chance to win. Yeah, trust the process to get to, to get back to where you were before. Uh, so I think one of the big things in, in coming over to the Giants from anywhere, but especially a team like Kansas City, is you don't have a rival that is is like the Giants and the Dodgers when you're in Kansas City. How familiar with the rivalry were you, and uh, and how much have you enjoyed that experience of being around that this year? Yeah, I knew, obviously, Yankees, Red Sox, and Giants, Dodgers. Those are like the two big uh, rivalry rivalries in sports. And uh, my first taste of it was – it was – a weekend series. I actually pitched the Friday night game that I got hurt mm-hmm. and we ended up sweeping the Dodgers that weekend. That was my first taste of uh, the rivalry. And man, it was like, I had never really been a part of games like that. The crowds were, were obviously huge, but they were also very into it and loud on both sides, Dodger and Giants fans. So uh, it was, I've never pitched in the playoffs, but I imagine that's probably as close as I've, I've been to a playoff atmosphere. And uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun to be a part of. Yeah, especially those weekend series, you get a, a buzz going for sure. Uh, that Friday night game you pitched, and you're right, that was that was a fun one. And uh, and that sweep uh, a couple of months back was was awesome for you guys. Uh, so I was trying to trying to wrap up with a little bit of a fun one, but I want to ask you first about uh, the thing that I've loved about being a Giants fan my whole life is you've got uh, so many. Well, they've had the Hall of Famers that are around, but the Giants keep guys who have have been tied to the organization close. There's so many legends and, and former players that hang around. Have you had an opportunity to to get to talk to guys like a Will Clark or a Barry Bonds or any of the other uh, former Giants that hang around? The ballpark anytime uh yeah um i have been able to sit down and talk with will clark a couple of times uh great dude great energy um you know he first time he came out to me he said he was a big fan of myself and just made me feel like i had been you know his friend for or he'd known me for 10 years you know it was just uh, a very warm welcome from him and it was pretty cool to to be able to chat with him and whenever he's in the clubhouse sit down with him especially with his career and all he accomplished and um, especially his career as a giant, you know, and for me the other night being able to pitch on his night, uh, it was a little nerve wracking because I didn't want to, you know, spoil the night. And I, <laughs> I felt like I, I was obligated to go out there and, and, and somehow throw up some zeros and, and get a, get a win on his night. And I'm thankful that that's the way it worked out. Cause man, he, he, de- he deserves all the, all the accolades and, and, and love from the fans that, that he gets. Yeah, he's uh, he's and he's a hell of a storyteller, man. Uh, the way that guy talks and, and the uh, the energy he has, the way he can paint a picture is incredible. All right. So uh, if you can go through any era in baseball and you could pick any player that you could get to play alongside or that you could face, like if you were on the hill and he was in the batter's box, who would it be? If you got an opportunity to face any player in history, who would you go with? Oh, my gosh. Face any hitter in history? Yeah, why don't we go face? How about that? I don't know if I would want to face him, but I would have loved to be on the Giants <laughs> when Barry Bonds was on the team. That guy was just like – it was like he was automatic, man. Like, he was hit, he was hitting anything that was thrown in there. It was like – I don't even know if there was a way to attack him besides, you know, walk him. Uh, so that's a guy I for sure would have, would have loved to have on my team as a Giant. Uh, to face, though – I would probably have to say Sammy Sosa just because he was a guy that I grew up loving and big home run hitter, a lot of energy. And, um, you know, that's just someone that I idolized as a kid. So it'd been really cool to, to stack up against him. But uh, one guy that, ha- that I have got to pitch against was uh, Albert Pujols. Obviously, I've seen him a lot um, growing up and he was a Cardinal playing the Cubs a bunch. Uh, he was literally the machine. Yeah. He was so good. Um, so the first time I got to face him, was kind of like 
whoa, this is this is wild, you know, being able to to face Albert Pools in the big leagues after watching him do what he did for so many years as a kid. Yeah, he debuted like 10 years before you were drafted. You know what I mean? Like he's like a baseball card yeah. up there that you're facing. And uh, if you get to face Sammy Sosa ever, I'd say drop the change up on him. And then if you strike him out, you can hit him with like the double tap, kiss the sky, do his <laughs> little uh, kiss the peace side at him. But uh, yeah, good answers, man. Good stuff. Jacob, I really appreciate you making time today, man. Uh, it's cool to get to know you a little bit. I've really enjoyed uh, watching you pitch. I, I was saying uh, to, to Kelsey, our producer, a couple weeks back, I'm like, I circled Jacob Junis starts on my calendar. So I'm happy you're uh, I'm happy you're healthy and, uh, and working your way back. And we look forward to see you out on the mound at Oracle again, man. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, man. Uh, very cool from Jacob Junis. Uh, I love getting an opportunity to meet some of these guys or, or talk a little bit deeper with some of them because we see them out there pitching. Uh, you see their personality on the field. You see them laughing in the dugout. You see Jake Junis with his his big curly hair sort of flying out there on a windy day in the dugout at, uh, at Oracle Park. But a lot of these guys, they come over and we just don't have an opportunity to get to know them. We've, we've had a lot of fun doing that with Sam Long and Austin Slater, Evan Longoria, and, and now uh, Jacob Junis here on the Inside Giant Moments podcast. By the way, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it, review it, subscribe to it, wherever it is you get us. You don't want to miss a single episode all season long and we do have a few more months left of this season so you're going to want to stay dialed into everything Giants baseball right here on the Inside Giant Moments podcast thanks so much to Jacob Junis for stopping by thank you to Kelsey our producer with the Giants thank you to Anuj who's been helping out over the last couple of weeks as well Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of the Inside Giant Moments podcast until then everybody enjoy the week enjoy the weekend and enjoy the Bay Bridge series out in Oakland on Saturday and Sunday this week a rare off day Friday and then just two games uh, in Oakland at the Coliseum on Saturday and Sunday Until next week, I've been your host, Adam Copeland. We'll talk to you then. Swing and a draw! Home run for Brandon Crawford. This. What a performance from Logan Webb tonight. Camilo Doval gets the save. Is. Yastrzemski. Gone! And late night Lamont strikes again. Belt was all over it. The captain. Inside Giant Moments. It's headed for the bay! The third of the night for Jock Peterson. With Adam Copeland. Well, strikeouts and they're on their feet here at Oracle Park for Carlos Rodon. Okay. Picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.